Welcome to the KVBBC podcast. This is episode three of season two. I'm Andy Davis and I'm up in the loft as always. So I think that means I'm in tier three. Downstairs is tier two. I'm not really sure how it works, to all of them honest. Anyway, as new lockdowns and restrictions start to bite across the country and uncertainty becomes ever more heightened once again, I'm talking to a couple of businesses that are all about being new to the market. First up, we have Jake Colwell from kitchen franchise outfit Kitchen House. He's got a really positive and ambitious story to tell as they continue to open a couple of new stores a month, even in the lockdown. And then we change gear by talking to a family business that only opened in 2019 and it's made up of two brothers, Hugh and Howard Miller. One is a gifted cabinet maker, the other a gifted architect and together their new bespoke kitchen company based in the heart of Liverpool is also flying despite the lockdown. A reminder as always that the best way to listen and follow this podcast is by subscribing via a podcast app such as Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you're here because you clicked on a link in a newsletter and it's playing via your browser, then using the app means you can easily see all the previous episodes and get notified when new ones arrive. Just search KBB Review, or one word, and don't forget to rate and review us too if you enjoy listening. But first... This week's Taylor's Media Shameless Plug is a little podcast-only sneak announcement. The KBB Review Retail and Design Awards 2021 will open for entries on Tuesday, November the 3rd. Yes, the awards are running as normal. We have a date and fantastic venue lined up for the event itself, so our fingers are going blue. They're so crossed that we can make that happen. But the entries, the extensive judging, and everything else will all begin on November the 3rd. As always... We have the support of some of the biggest brands in the sector. So if you're a supplier and you'd like to know more about sponsorship, then drop me a line. My email is in the episode description. Now, the lockdown was, and still is, uh, a very worrying time for many, but there are plenty of businesses out there that continue to grow and new businesses that continue to open. So let's meet someone who actually falls under both of those headings. And we've got Jake Colwell, the Sales and Operations Manager for Kuchen House. Hello, Jake. Are you there? Hi, Andrew. Yes, I'm here. How are you today, sir? Yeah, very good, thank you. Very good. Uh, excited to be on the podcast. Well, of course you are. I'm excited to be on it, and I do it all the time. For people that don't know you, give us the, the potted history all about Kuchen House. So I uh, look after the south of the UK for Kuchen House. For, so for those of you that don't know, Kuchen House is a UK-based franchise operation that's owned by uh, the German manufacturing guy, Nabilia. We currently have 36 showrooms in the UK, and that number is expanding rapidly, currently at a rate of almost two showrooms opening every single month as we stand. Well, that is very positive, and I think what's interesting is even through this whole lockdown period, those franchisees just keep coming, don't they? Absolutely. We're seeing, actually, demand for a franchise support network has actually never been stronger. I think, you know, in any times of economic uncertainty, there's always people looking for opportunities. The people may have been made redundant from their role through no fault of their own. They might be going through a company restructure or something like that. So um, there's plenty of people out there who are very experienced, uh, very high caliber kitchen professionals who are looking for the next opportunity. And actually, we're finding that a lot of these are stumbling across Kitchen House. And we're giving them that helping hand really to set up on their own rather than going the independent route, which could be seen as a higher risk. So from our perspective, uh, this year, you know, has been a phenomenal year for, for new inquiries, uh, new people coming to Kitchen House, existing franchisees set up second showrooms. And that growth looks like it's going to continue well into next year. Again, that is incredibly positive. Let's get a little snapshot of, uh, of what's happening today. How is business across your franchisees right now? 
Yeah, so from the franchise perspective, you're always going to get anomalies. So you're always going to have the outliers. Uh, we have showrooms that are over 100% up on turnover year to date. We have some showrooms that are marginally down. But on average, uh, across the network, we are sitting around 10% up on the same time last year. So these are the existing showrooms. So that's quite positive, I think, all things being considered. I mean, there's also a lot of demand, a lot of interest in, in, in getting kitchens at the moment. One of the things I'm, I'm hearing is that the conversion rate is starting to wobble a little bit. How, how do you feel about that? Yeah, so if we look back over sort of our key performance metrics over the, the course of the year, during the beginning of lockdown, this must have been back end of March into April, our inquiries went through the roof. So our inquiries jumped by almost 50% compared to what we were seeing pre-lockdown. And obviously, that's great. It meant that everybody was super busy designing, quoting. But a lot of the showroom's conversion rates dropped because obviously these customers couldn't necessarily get into the showroom to make their final choices. A lot of them still wanted to come and you know, touch the product. So although our inquiries jumped, the actual conversion rate went down. Then after lockdown was lifted, we saw it went the complete opposite way because all of these kitchens that we'd been designing and quoting during the lockdown, they were merely waiting on sort of an opportunity to come in and finalise choices. So actually after the lockdown, June, July, August, we actually saw the complete opposite whereby uh, we were almost just uh, converting that pent-up demand and all those open quotes that we had sort of floating about in this system. Obviously that has dipped a a bit now uh, as we're settling into more of a sort of new normal but actually, it's still fairly positive in the, in the Kitchen House camp. We have certain tools and angles where we are able to convert customers that may have otherwise gone to the likes of the shed. So they might have gone to you know the Wrens and, and the Magnets and the, and the Howdens because they might have been able to offer them finance or they might have been able to do it at a cheaper price. One of the key strengths of Kitchen House is that our franchisees have these tools within their arsenal. So for us, actually, we don't see a loss of business for those reasons. So actually, our conversion rates at the minute are still holding up and remaining fairly strong. Okay, which is really good to hear, of course. I'm just wondering if we could take a step back into the lockdown itself. You know, you had new businesses opening, and I'm sure some of those businesses were the result of, of conversations that started before this whole thing happened. What kind of discussions were taking place with those franchisees? Because it's still a brave move. No matter how far down the line you are, it's still brave to open those doors or to press on with with your plans. So what kind of discussions were you having? We have a few showrooms who, for timing, couldn't have really uh, got any worse. We've had showrooms that were independent kitchen retailers, let's say, who made the decision to, to move over to Kitchen House. And some of these retailers actually ripped their showroom apart during sort of January, February, And the refits were happening essentially as lockdown was coming in. So for these guys, it was a very nerve wracking time. They'd obviously made a big commitment in terms of rebranding their showroom, changing all the displays and putting all their eggs in one basket under the kitchen house umbrella. And for them to then be sort of almost caught in the headlights with, "Ah, you know, I I don't actually have a showroom that's fully open. And now we've gone into lockdown. Uh, It was a nervous time for, for everybody, I think. But nonetheless, these guys have only just committed for those and for all of our franchise partners, really, they look to the franchise off for support. So we were very active. We did not furlough any of our field-based team. So we worked throughout the whole lockdown and ultimately being the person on the end of the phone for our franchise partners. So uh, one of the key benefits that we have is that you have a lot of showrooms across the network and everybody supports each other. 
So we set up, you know, things like WhatsApp groups, online virtual meetings for the franchise partners to discuss their own situations and share ideas and best practice. And ultimately, it was a great morale booster. And these franchise owners and, and incoming franchisees felt that they were all in it together. And I felt like that was a real positive to come out of this, that everybody was supporting each other and help each other through it, you know, whether that was advice on safety precautions, whether it was advice on furlough, whether it was uh, top tips about how they're converting sales remotely using Zoom, all these sorts of things. And it just gave you a fallback and a network to rely on and bounce ideas off, uh, which I think really was a saving grace for a lot of the showrooms because they felt like they weren't on their own uh, and they had someone to turn to for advice and support. Franchisees or franchising is is such an interesting business model, and I'm sure you could talk for hours extolling all the virtues of it. But it's very much for the individual, isn't it? It's what your personal view of of franchising is. But in those moments, I can see you're absolutely right. Is that all in this together idea that you know someone else is going through the same thing you are in, and you can talk to them about it is actually quite reassuring at those very dark times in the middle of you know April or something. Obviously, you're a franchise operation, but you are also owned by one of the biggest kitchen manufacturers in Europe, if not the world. Yeah, of course. Which is Nabilia, as you say. What's the pros and cons of that during that period? They obviously have an enormous infrastructure behind them as well. So did you see any issues with supply or manufacturing? It's a very good point because it was one of our key sort of advantages, I would say, through the lockdown. Kutchenhaus are in a very unique position being owned by Nabilia. We don't face the, the usual pressures of shareholders wanting to extract profits of the business or anything like that. The Nabilia have set Kutchenhaus up as a vehicle to take market share and grow volume for, for themselves. And this means that we can operate almost as a loss leader in, in certain elements of the franchise. So a good example of this is with things like appliances. We act like a buying group. So we we go to you know our appliance suppliers and we negotiate really, really good prices on behalf of our franchisees by using the collective buying power of the group. We then pass all those discounts directly onto our franchisees, which means that they can be ultra competitive in their local market. So if you've got customers that are shopping around, the Kutchenhaus franchisee who may have only just joined us from an independent background will get the buying power of 36 showrooms behind them. So they get ultra competitive prices. During the lockdown then, how this benefited us even further was that Nabilia did not cease production throughout the whole of the lockdown. So where we had um, in some local areas, you might have the likes of Magnet and Howden's all closed. They furloughed their staff. Our Kutchenhaus franchisees were able to speak to all of their customers and actually reach out to new customers, whether that be developers, builders, interior designers, architects, and say, look, you know, hey, you know, we're, we're Kutchenhaus. We're a small family-run operation locally. We can still do virtual designs. Our manuf- you know, our manufacturing parent company, Nabilia, are still producing. Yes, you may have to wait, you know, four to six weeks for a kitchen to come from Germany. But actually, that's a, that's a better story to tell than, uh, you know, the, the UK manufacturers and the UK retailers who would actually just shut down for almost an indefinite period. So we have some showrooms that really embraced that kind of approach to winning new business. And they are absolutely flourishing at the minute. And they are, you know, up on their sales year to date. And they've used the angle of we are still here, we're still open, still able to supply to their benefit. Let's jump forward to the present day a bit here. As you say, you're opening up a couple of franchisees two a month, which is which is amazing. What are your plans in terms of growth? Is there a final number of franchisees you want to get to? 
At the minute, we have our sights firmly set on our target of 100 kitchen house showings by the end of 2022. And 100 sounds like a very uh, convenient round number. But we've looked at it and we, and we know that when we have around the 100 showroom mark, you know, whether that be 98, 102, it's that general volume of showrooms. Things like TV advertising become very achievable for us. So the way that we work is if we had an opportunity like, let's just say to advertise on uh, TV in front of Grand Designs, if we have 100 showrooms, we may be able to go to all of our franchise partners and say, look, if everybody wants to contribute a small nominal fee once per quarter, we'll then top up from Kitchenhouse head office. And what we'll do is we will generate a advert that runs on TV and that's going to benefit the whole network. So that's why we have our sites firmly set in this 100 stores. In other countries, Nabilia have much bigger franchise operations. In France, uh, Nabilia have over 300 franchise showrooms, and these showrooms all do phenomenally well. That may be something that the, the business sets its sights on next, but for now, we're firmly set on the next you know, two years reaching that 100 store mark. Again, very confident given the way the market is so uncertain at the moment. What's your overall view, do you think, Jake, of, of the market itself in 2021? What do you think is going to happen? I know it's a bit crystal ball, but what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I think demand will, will stay strong. I think travel restrictions are obviously they're going to remain. Obviously, I think more people will still continue to stay in the UK and look to, to save money and spend it elsewhere, uh, whether that's in you know home improvements or just, just spending money close to home. Obviously, we can see that the property market is still very buoyant with a lot of people moving house. Obviously, that is going to be linked to the home improvements market because people are going to move, things are not going to be done to their taste, and they're going to want to spend money on those houses. For us, I think we're in a fairly confident position. Seeing as Nabilia is such a competitively priced product anyway, and we have all the tools within our arsenal to offer things like finance, um, you know, extremely competitive appliance prices, and, and all this stuff, I think actually... When there's uncertainty, uh, you know, customers might want that 15 grand kitchen for, for 12 grand, for example. And I think we're well placed to take those customers out the market. And, you know, if it becomes a, a scenario where the demand is not there, it's a lot easier to, to sell a kitchen on finance where they're paying £150 a month rather than, you know, £15,000 upfront. So I think we're well placed to capitalise on any uncertainty in the market being as competitively priced as we are. But I'm sure there will be some some wobbles and, and some issues to overcome next year. We just don't quite know what they are yet. The most important question, though, Jake, that we're all waiting for now, because it's, it's a new feature. So I now want to know people's most feel-good, positive movie. And it's a feature that I now call Silence of the Laminates. <laughs> so, Jake, you've had a bad day. You flop down on the sofa. You pick up the remote control. What are you going for? I think we've caught me off guard there, but I think I'd put on something like um, Shaun of the Dead, a light-hearted comedy. Oh, good choice. Yeah, <laughs> very good. That is a good choice, a funny zombie film. There aren't many of them. Yeah, absolutely. It's when Simon Pegg was still not in his Tom Cruise face. <laughs> absolutely, of course. Jake, that's a very good choice. I, I will fully endorse that one, although it is not the right answer. <laughs> what is the right answer? Uh, well, this is the point. I'm waiting for someone to guess it because I know in my head what the actual most feel-good movie is and no one's got it so far, but we'll see what happens. So thank you very much for your time, mate. That's really, really interesting and it'd be good to catch up with you again uh, sometime in the future to sort of see where your plans are starting to go because you've got a lot of ambition, which is great to see in this market. Cool. Cheers, Andrew. Thanks a lot. Cheers, mate. Bye now. 
So many KBB businesses are family affairs, of course, but on the whole, I would say they're usually husband and wife partnerships. But very pleased to say that we're now going to meet two brothers who each bring some very unique skills to their business. So please welcome Hugh and Howard Miller. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. 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 How are you? I'm very well. Thank you very much. Uh, Now, you are both H. Miller. You are brothers. So can you start by telling us the name of your business? (laughs) Well, it's H. Miller Bros. It, it took quite a lot of sort of um, head scratching to come up with, but eventually we settled on our name. It just shows the level of creativity you guys are capable of, I think. This is the innovation we're talking about on the website. And it's bros, not bros. I don't know, actually. We, we sometimes, when we give the name out on the phone or whichever, some people often say that it's bros, but no, we've always used bros. I have to be honest, I didn't realise that bros was the other way of saying it. Well, I blame Matt and Luke Goss for that. Let's delve into this here. It's a really interesting story. You're obviously your brothers, obviously, but you have two very different but very complementary backgrounds in terms of your skill base. Now, Hugh, you're the furniture maker. Indeed. And Howard, you're the architect. That's right. So how did you come together to make kitchens? Give us the background of how you set yourselves up. So we share a space. We've always shared a space and we've always been each other's second pair of eyes. We've been working together since we were, since she was born. I'm four years older, so 35 years. We've been sharing the same office and workshop for eight years. And we've always collaborated on projects and things together, but it sort of gradually merged together until we actually formed a company. Interestingly, we're both trained as architects. So actually, we're very close in terms of professional training as, as such. Howard became a, a fully-fledged ARB architect and I started my business before I did the final year of professional qualifications. But our background is architecture. The thing that's, I suppose, interesting about the way we work together is that Howard has always been an architect through and through. And really, he cares about the macro aspects of the design. And I love wood and furniture and that sort of human scale of making that, the details. And so I do the little bits. So even though we actually trained on the, in the same subject, we come at that subject from the opposite scales. And I think that's one of the things that's kind of interesting about our work. Yeah, I do recommend everybody goes to look at your website and I'll put the links in the episode description here because it's very limiting to say that you design kitchens because you're both very accomplished in your respective fields. Your CVs are very impressive. You could both go off and have very accomplished careers independently of each other. So why kitchens? I think kitchens is an interesting one because for Hugh, it's a really big piece of furniture. And for me, it's a little bit of architecture. Do you see what I mean? It's like a small building. It's kind of where our two fields kind of overlap. And in wanting to work together, it's kind of a natural fit. But I think you're right. We can turn our hands to other things. And we love doing kitchens, but we've done quite a lot of other internal architectural cabinetry and standalone furniture. And we enjoy doing that too. So we don't turn it down. Howard and I, we have a short-term plan, a medium-term plan, and a long-term life goal kind of plan. And the life goal for for this business is, it's going to get incredibly pretentious just now, just warning, is that we we want to create this thing that, this thing that I think the German word for is the Gesamtskraftwerken, which means total work of art. And what we mean by that is we want to create projects where we don't just do the kitchen and the furniture and the building, the architecture. We also do the landscape, all of the internal finishes, and actually maybe also some of the art. That's where we want to take this business. And to be honest, in terms of skills, we're already there. I've been making studio furniture for almost a decade. Howard has a huge amount of experience in architecture, but has also 
won awards in his garden design. And we've been doing architectural cabinetry and kitchens on and off for a decade together as well. So, and of course, we've done collaborative small build projects like a bar we made called Constellation. So kind of all the skills are there. And what we're doing is building a sustainable business around those ideas. I think it's fascinating the other work that you guys have done that you're now bringing into kitchens. What do you think that informs the way that you design kitchens that is probably slightly different than the standard kitchen? I think that as an architect, you've got to be pretty versatile. You've got to use any kind of materials, uh, whatever's appropriate for that design. Hugh is a wood person, and I think that we're interested in exploring lots of materials that aren't traditionally used in kitchens. That's one thing. I think that there's a kind of, I don't want to say complacency, but there's a sort of way of doing things in the kitchen industry. And I know it's very, very standardised. And there's a lot of good reason for that, especially with working around standardised white goods and things like that. But the way you're taught as an architect is not to do that. It's the opposite. Uh, You need to think things out from first principles and do what's right for the design first and then make it practical. And I think that's where we are slightly different from the industry norms, I guess. The other thing is that um, although I've been a furniture maker for over a decade, I'm actually self-taught in woodworking furniture. And that meant that when I was learning how to do it, I was basically giving myself an apprenticeship for the first five years, which was, well, it was horrific at the time. And I was just making mistake after mistake. But it's meant that now I have an understanding of wood, which is much more empirical and experience-based, which means that it's not it's not based on received wisdom. And I think that in, cer- in certain instances, it's meant that we've been able to use wood in ways that other people possibly haven't thought of before. I know that's true in my furniture work, but actually in some of our kitchens, especially the most recent one, which is called the Furniture Maker's Kitchen, there's a lot of details in there, which are just almost a bit bonkers for a kitchen. But we're really excited about it because we think it's sort of it's almost like a a new dawn in our design work and hopefully in the kitchens in general i do love it when people come in and bring a different perspective to as you say what can be quite a standardized thing and i think the combination of architecture and, and somebody who really understands the wood is a fascinating mix but of course with any of these things you've got to persuade a homeowner to actually pay for it how difficult is it to be bonkers to use your word with somebody who just wants a new kitchen it's not something we hugely worry about. And the reason is because we're not looking to do 100 kitchens a year. We're looking to do a dozen really, really good ones. And to be honest, when clients approach us, we're as much interviewing them as they're interviewing us. Uh, we want to know that it's going to be a really interesting, exciting project that we are going to add value to. So if somebody wants a, a standard kitchen, they're not going to come to us. And if they do come to us, we're not going to want to do it. So in that way, actually it's not that difficult to persuade the type of people who are approaching us that this is the way that we should go, because in many ways, that's the whole reason why they've called. There's quite a few designers that operate in that kind of arena. They're the ones that, in my view, are always at the cutting edge of things. You know, they're the ones that are really trying to do something different. I think what's interesting is that you're brothers as well. And and if I was being deeply psychological about all this... I could say that given all your respective experience and some of the projects you've worked on, that that you've come together to do something which is very family-orientated, which is a kitchen. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. You know, that you're bringing that experience into, into an arena where it is all about familial relationships and it's all about family environments. Do you think that's part of it? Definitely. Yeah, I do. I definitely think that. It's a good point, and it's not one I'd actually thought of, but it does make a lot of sense now that you've said it. 
We're not just business partners and brothers. We're actually very close friends as well. And we spend a lot of time. I don't have a family, but Howard has two children and I spend a lot of time with them. And we all spend a lot of time with his parents and or our parents. So we're quite a close family unit. And um, it may sound sort of trite, but we generally create quite close personal relationships with our clients as well and get to know their families. And actually, if it comes down to brass tacks, designing is really about knowing your brief, knowing who you're designing for. And so a kitchen is absolutely for a family space. We're a very tight family ourselves. And so in some ways, I think it gives us an advantage when we're thinking about how we're going to design and make something that's that's going to suit the brief or the family that it's going to be for. So I hadn't actually thought about it it's either. A, but it's a really, I think good, it's a really point. good point. There's, there's this phrase in um, architecture, which is that you can't design in a vacuum. Actually, if you, if you were to think about the difference between, say, speculative housing and one-off housing, of course, the one-off housing is more interesting and has more unique details in it because it's for someone. It's not for anyone. So, yeah, definitely it, it's the client and the person that it's for is is what's allowing us to pursue interesting design avenues. The extension of this, and I guess this is probably the question you are asked quite a lot, is you are brothers, you are business partners, but brothers can be naturally quite competitive, brothers can be naturally quite yeah, argumentative. What? <laughs> So how does that work in terms of the design process? Who, who is always right? The first thing is that Howard and I have been competing our whole lives. It's just Howard doesn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of design, actually, the one area I would say that we, that we work best together is on design. And through the last decade of working professionally, it's become quite clear, actually, we're both interested in slightly different parts of the design but they complement each other perfectly. So this is that thing about scale, Howard being a macro conceptual designer and me being a sort of a crafted details designer. So I would absolutely say that neither of us are right or neither of us have a sort of a, a, a veto over the other in, when it comes to design. I, I think actually the, the thing that's strong about our partnership is that the design part of it is is an absolutely collaborative I, I would say that the design always comes first and it's and it's as mark of a sort of mature designer to be able to accept that a good idea that you've had is not actually the right thing for the design and, and another strong idea that someone else has had is important. But I'd also say that one of the things about working with your family is that you can have those frank conversations and you don't take it personally. Do you know what I mean? If you've had an argument with someone in your family you kind of know that it's it's not something that you're never going to come back from, like it might be with a friend or a colleague. So not that we have many arguments, to be honest with you. We're on the same page pretty much 99% of the time. We do have very frank conversations, though. I can be pretty blunt. <laughs> I'm incredibly patient. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'm just wondering whether, you know, Howard, if you pick up one of Hugh's chisels or something, does he does he just scream across the room and say, leave it alone or whatever? Do you revert very easily to being seven years old again in those in those moments? I'm not allowed to touch the chisel. No. I, would, <laughs> I would say that we, we probably do conform to the older brother, younger brother dynamic, me being the younger one. At times, I, I'm a lot more impatient. I think I can probably be a bit ruder. <laughs> Howard, is, <laughs> Howard is very patient. He has two kids, so he's had a lot more practice. So Howard, are you the one that deals with the clients more? Um, yeah. I mean, I have 15 years of experience of getting clients to into comfortable and making good decisions. Hugh is extremely good at, at presentation. He can pitch a project better than I can. I thought you were going to say Hugh has really sharp chisels. Then, <laughs> and so we just... 
we don't let him near the clients. Look, so this actual business that you got together, you started it up last year, didn't you? That's right. When you start a new business, no matter how skilled and experienced you are, I'm sure you didn't write global pandemic into your business plan. No. <laughs> no. So how's it going? I have to say, we, we're really busy. We didn't stop working through the pandemic. Now, we're very small and lean, so that helps. And as I said before, we're not looking to do hundreds of kitchens. So the projects we have have probably got a slightly longer lead-in time and are higher value in terms of contract value. So it's that basically means that we can sort of weather short-term storms a little bit easier than, than a larger business might be able to. It has caused innumerable frustrations over the last six months. But actually, from a from a business strategy point of view, it's not affected it at all not change anything something that i think has helped is that we're working with clients around the country we're based in liverpool and we have a great space here in liverpool and it's a it's also a city where there's quite a good pool of makers we've picked up a couple of really good makers over the lockdown with with other places having to downsize a bit but we're working with people across the country and Whereas before we were actually doing a lot of traveling, now we're using like just like everyone else, Zoom and Microsoft Teams and stuff. And we've honed the way that we do client meetings and things over the internet quite well over the last six months. I think it's something that we're probably going to carry on doing. It's actually, you know, sort of necessity being the mother of invention. Having to work out a way to not visit people has basically meant that we've made our process (laughs) much more efficient we made our processes a lot better and the weirdest thing is that actually clients like it better as well because they can they can get things turned around faster Uh, they can also do things like sharing screens means that they can look at 3d models more easily than they could if we were meeting in person and looking at printed documentation for instance weirdly what could have been a, a bug has turned into a feature Especially as, obviously, Liverpool and Merseyside is one of the real hotspots now. So, you know, that is really important as we speak. I think the Liverpool part of it I find really interesting for obvious reasons, because that's where I'm from too. But you don't think of Liverpool necessarily as being a place of architecture and furniture making and things like that. It's obviously a very design-led, creative city. But I would never think of it as a furniture place. No. It, well, uh, it, it's not. <laughs> so Howard and I decided to move to Liverpool from different places uh, around eight years ago because we wanted to start working together, collaborating together and sharing a space. Um, Commercial space in Liverpool is more cost-effective than other places, but it's a really cool city with an amazing sort of creative culture. So for all those reasons, it it was a brilliant place to move to, but probably most importantly, our family are close by as well. Uh, We grew up near Chester, so we have family ties here as well. So we we decided to base ourselves in Liverpool. But as Howard says, because we're working around the UK on these projects, being sort of centrally located next to the M6 is relatively good positioning for us. So no, it's not a centre for for sort of high-end kitchens or furniture, but for us it seems to be working rather nicely. Maybe you're the first. Maybe there's going to be a whole sort of kitchen quarter now, right in the right in the middle of Liverpool. Who knows? <laughs> this this city has been hung, drawn, and quartered. There's about seventy quarters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the maths just don't work, do they? It's very sort of scouse fractions. That is. <laughs> But look, it's been brilliant talking to you, chaps. I've been really interested to hear so much more about you. Uh, I can't wait to see the stuff that you come up with over the next years or so. Uh, not just in kitchens, but some of the other stuff you've done has been so interesting too. 
Thanks. Thank you so much, Andy. Now, we've got the most important question of all, though, because this is now season two of the podcast, and we have our new feature. So what I want to know is, uh, and you can have one each because I'm generous that way, what is your most feel-good, positive movie when you want to cheer yourselves up? It's the feature I'm calling Silence of the Laminates. (laughs) Hugh, let's start with you. So mine would definitely be Booksmart. I don't know if anyone's seen Booksmart, but it is just the most wonderful, funny, witty, beautifully shot. Well, I suppose it's a coming of age story, but it's just got these two most charismatic leads. Uh, and I could, I've watched it about 10 times and it only came out. Yeah, that's only a very relatively recent one, it's isn't it? so good. If anyone hasn't seen it, watch it. It's just wonderful. You've already picked one I haven't seen, so that's good. That's going on my list. Now, Howard, what's yours? Well, I've been locked down with two kids aged six and two, so we've been watching Moana. I didn't realise that Maui, who's like the demigod character, is played by The Rock. Yep, and he sings. He sings. It's hilarious. So I'd I'd already watched it like five times before I realised it was The Rock, and then when I saw him singing it on YouTube, it blew my mind. So that's my feel-good one. Well, they are both excellent choices. They are not the right answers. There is a, there is a right answer in my head. There is officially the Andrew Davis choice of most feel-good movie ever made. But good stab, good stab, but they are not right. But they are both good movies. Thanks very much, chaps. We'll catch up again soon, and thanks for your time. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks a lot. That's it. A couple of really fantastic stories there today. A huge thanks to Jake from Kitchen House and Hugh and Howard from H. Miller Bros., Remember to subscribe, rate and review this very podcast using a podcast app such as Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I'll see you next time.